1: It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman.
2: Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in as one of the most recognizable names in health and wellness, Jillian Michaels was one of the first to show us how to take control of the metabolic machinery underlying our weight and health struggles. Now, she's using innovative science to conquer the myths, misunderstandings, and mayhem associated with aging. Jillian joins us today to discuss ways to reverse the effects of aging and maintain optimal health for life. Jillian is an eight-time New York Times bestselling author, a leading health and fitness expert, and a nutritionist and wellness entrepreneur. She is the author of the new book, The Six Keys, Unlock Your Genetic Potential for Ageless Strength, Health, and Beauty. Welcome, Jillian. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Jillian, you've been transforming people's lives for years. What do you believe are the biggest mistakes we make when it comes to health and wellness?
3: Oh, my God. There, <laughs> there's Start so the Start <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> wow. I would say... Look, first, diet is going to be the absolute most offensive, right? And these absurd fad diets, whether it's starvation, like pseudo-fasting diets, or it's keto, which throws the body into a literal physiological state of emergency, um, master cleanses, all ridiculous. Then you, you get into fitness, and I think the notion of, more is better harder is better um so you know you take something perfectly beneficial like yoga but you say let's do it in 115 degree weather (laughs) like that that's a terrible idea Uh and no it doesn't detox the body because you don't detox through sweat you detox through your kidney your liver your lungs um so i think that trend overall in fitness has become extremely bad uh and and People are trying to reverse the aging process from the outside in, which is ridiculous. So, you know, they're shooting all kinds of stuff. And, and like, look, I don't judge it. I all like, go ahead. But it's not going to make you younger. If anything, it's going to age you, right? Because we're looking Mm -hmm. at putting toxins into our system and how that's going to affect the six keys, right? These six body processes that determine how well we age. And so, you know, that's something that needs to come from the inside out right with the Mm -hmm. proper nutrition lifestyle management environmental changes and so on so there's there's many we we could go on and on but there's just a few
2: well you know i'm i was laughing listening to you because i've gotten to a point in my life that i've done everything that you just described and i'm so tired of it I, i remember saying to one of my friends i i have to get some of this weight off and you know I know cauliflower is healthy for me, but I was doing this diet that was telling you certain days of the week you could eat certain foods. And I'm like, but oh well, why God. can't I eat cauliflower on Tuesday? You know, and, and I just I, got I so tired. can't even tell you how
3: ridiculous that is. But it is. Yeah. And I got
2: so tired that I don't do anything because I'm tired of trying to figure it out. So what you're saying makes so much sense for
3: us. It, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, like, <laughs> I get so mad. And in, in this book, I break down, right? Keto intermittent fasting, vegan, paleo, gluten-free, the blood-type diet, avoiding nightshades, and there is zero science behind any of it, and conversely, there's science against it. However, when you take something like keto, they will pull one or two studies about, oh, well, you know, we, this diet in particular helps you reverse type 2 diabetes and helps to get you um, off PCOS medication for polycystic ovarian syndrome, sure. I mean, yeah, because you're eating zero carbohydrates, which is going to burn fat faster, right? So you, you would think that would be a good thing. Um, and you have no insulin going on. There's Your pancreas is barely releasing insulin because you're not eating any carbohydrates. So your blood sugar is very low. Now, this diet, on the other hand, which nobody is showing you when they talk about its benefits, is how it shortens our telomeres, how it's starving our cells. Literally, our macromolecules or cells are made up of protein, fat, and carbs, literally starving your cells. And it's got a ton of oxidative stress from all the calories, all the animal proteins, all the saturated fat, and the list goes on. So, again, like all of these misconceptions really lead people down a path of feeling, being set up to fail and feeling discouraged when they do. So you can do all of the benefits, right, all the things these diets claim, whether it's reversing type 2 diabetes, getting off medication, improving fertility, getting to a healthy body weight, and on and on and on with a common-sense eating program and a common-sense fitness (laughs) (laughs) Mm regimen, and you get none of the bad stuff and all the good stuff for years to come. But it's exactly the kind of stuff you're talking about that is the absolute most detrimental to our frame of mind, and our overall health.
2: So Jillian, instead of focusing on just one or two factors, like we've been talking about diet, you crafted a program that addresses six factors. What are the six factors, and how can people make each work for them?
3: Okay. So there's nothing in your genetics that tells you to age or die. So you got to say, well, then what the heck is happening, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I am getting older, and so... So why is this happening? And why is it that some people look amazing in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and so on, and other people do not, right? We'll leave it at that. Right, right. Well, we went to the top scientists, and I say we because I also I very rarely work with a co-author, um, and for something like this, I worked with a guy named Maya Murphy, who is the foremost expert in this space as an author, right? So he and I... Both went out to all the top neuroscientists, the top guys in the field studying the aging process. And there are what we call the six keys in my book, but they're really the six hallmarks or the six body processes responsible for how we're aging. So it's how we're adapting to stress, right? Stress is designed to make us stronger physically and emotionally. But when stress is out of control and stress is chronic and stress is mismanaged, it will literally kill you. It will break you down inflammation, right? This is another key. We think, oh, inflammation, chronic inflammation is bad. Well, chronic inflammation is, but inflammation is actually a really good thing. Without it, we wouldn't survive the common cold. Inflammation's job is to go in there and fight off infection and rebuild and repair the body. So the problem here is that when these keys are getting out of whack, your inflammatory response remains on all the time. And it goes after healthy tissue, right? So it's like, I need to fight, I'm in a war, who am I gonna go after? But if you're not sick or you're not, you don't have an injury to rebuild or repair, it will go after healthy bone, healthy muscle, and so on. This is where you get things like rheumatoid arthritis, for example, your body's literally turning on itself. Mm-hmm. Then you've got metabolism. And we often think of metabolism as, okay, well, you know, my, my weight, right, this is what metabolism is. It's, not what metabolism is. It is a function of metabolism. But metabolism is also responsible for a very important process in the body called autophagy. And what this is, is housekeeping. So how we eat, what we eat, when we eat, how much we eat helps to make this work again for us or against us. So this autophagy process is housekeeping. And this is where the body goes in and it cleans up the old, and it rebuilds the new. It calls all the dead and senescent cells. It has time to focus on immunity, remodeling and repairing bone and muscle, and so on, collagen, and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. But when we're eating too often, when we're eating too much, when we're eating the wrong things, this process doesn't get optimized. And in some cases, the body doesn't engage in it at all, and you've got a buildup of all this bad stuff, and bad things happen. Next one would be your epigenome. So we look at genes, right, and people, oh, it's in the genes. It's in the genes. It's a foregone conclusion one way or the other, which it absolutely is not. So, yes, your genetics may hold a certain blueprint, or they do, but what pieces of that blueprint get built in your body or not are controlled by your epigenome. So your epigenome is the little guy that will tell each and every cell what to do, what to become, and will tell your DNA what to express and what to choke off, right? Hence the reason, whatever you might be genetically predisposed to, you can dramatically affect by the way you live your life. So I am genetically predisposed to being obese. Mm -hmm. If I ate too much, I would be heavy. I don't have a naturally fast metabolism, but the way I live my life has put me in a very healthy place at a very healthy body weight. So allowing your epigenome to work for you instead of against you is really important and to give you an even better idea, when we say things like muscle has memory, that's literally your epigenome remembering and marking the body so that when you start to exercise again, your body rebuilds faster because it already knows how to do it. So it's actually easier to get back in shape than mm-hmm. it is to get in shape for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you got telomeres, which are those little caps on the end of your DNA strands, right? They protect your chromosomes. Well. There are certain things that accelerate the shortening of your telomeres. When we lose our telomeres, our DNA is exposed. And all kinds of anarchy can occur in the body and you start to get genetic abnormalities. This is bad. And so we want to make sure we're protecting our telomeres and keeping them as long and strong as we possibly can for years and years to come. So when our DNA goes to replicate itself, we're getting... Accurate replications and not misfires and chromosomes fusing that shouldn't be fused together and so on The 6-1 are your macromolecules and that's essentially your cells, the health of your cells, how they're communicating with each other, how they're duplicating, um, how well they're functioning and your macromolecules. Here's what's interesting about this. Think of the term macros or macronutrients. We know that as protein, fat and carbs, right? Well, your macromolecules, your cells, are literally made up of protein, fat, carbs, and nucleic acids. So as you can probably already imagine, diets that strip out macronutrients are literally starving your cells. So there are, there's a lot that we need to do to keep our macromolecules healthy, or not to overwhelm me, but there's a lot we can do, and all of that is outlined in the plan of the book, but right off the bat... That should tell you that something like keto is a very, very bad thing for the health of your cells because you're truly starving them of the necessary macronutrients.
2: So, Julian, if someone wanted to get started right now, what's a general rule of thumb that can keep all of these areas in balance and healthy?
3: Well, we've got five pathways, right? These five areas of our lives that we need to focus on. And while I would love to tell you, oh, here's one thing, right? Here's a... Here's the one thing to focus on. It would be like saying, I want to write a symphony, but I only have the tuba. I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you can't can't do it, right? right? So the areas that we focus on in the book are, of course, proper nutrition. And that means no more fad diets, understanding the simple science of thermodynamics, calories in, calories out, and food quality, macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbs, micronutrients, the benefits of vitamins and minerals, how and when to eat them, and so on. Fitness, how to work out in the most effective ways without overwhelming yourself to get the best results. The mind body connection is really important. And this is where you gotta take into account that your state of mind, right? Your overall mental well being, and I'm not suggesting it's even possible to be happy all the time, but having that deeper sense of purpose and meaning and finding it in your life allows you to have a calmer and more fulfilled state of mind and the effects of that on your physiology are tangible. So depression, we've seen studies on depression. It's shortening our telomeres at an accelerated pace, right? So how do we improve our state of mind? And it could be as simple as a five-minute daily meditation. It could be as simple as completely clearing out your current peer group and getting more supportive people in your life. But it's something that simply cannot be negated. And this concept of neuroplasticity the way that we think and feel affects the physiology of our brain your brain chemistry the shape and size of parts of your brain well we want to gear that for the better right not for the worse. so we've got to look at that mind-body component environment is massive and what I mean by environment is literally the physical world you're living in so the air you're breathing we breathe 11,000 liters of air a day We want that air as clean as possible. How much sunlight are you getting, right? How much exposure to UV rays are you getting? And how do we mitigate that so that we get just the right amount, so we keep our vitamin D and so on, but none of the bad stuff? What are we cooking our food on and in so that we're removing plastics from our food? You store your food in plastic, it's leaching into the food. Those styrofoam coffee cups, so, 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 so bad for us. Simple things that anybody can do that will have a massive impact, right? So that's environment. And then you've got lifestyle. And lifestyle really is stress management and stress management and making time for you. And it's everything from like getting the right amount of sleep to taking your vacations to even potentially getting a pet. I mean, and I know that sounds kind of trite and silly, but again, study after study after study is showing us that people with pets have a longer lifespan, have improved immunity, have better cognitive function. So it's, it's really a program, it's a lifestyle that we have to tackle on a myriad of fronts. And you can take one step in each area and it will make a massive difference. I'm not asking for people to go from crawling to sprinting. I just need them to have the information and take small steps forward over time and that will add literally years of quality and quantity to your life. If you stop doing keto tomorrow and started eating a balanced diet, We would add probably the most recent study said seven years to your life.
4: The book is The Six
2: Keys, Unlock Your Genetic Potential for Ageless Strength, Health, and Beauty by Jillian Michaels. If you'd like to get more information about the book or Jillian and her work, you can visit JillianMichaels.com. Jillian, in about 30 seconds or less, it's the new year. This is the time when people are making resolutions to overhaul their life. (laughs) What is one quick tip that you can give us to get the job done?
3: Well, the one quick tip would be, get many quick tips. So, you know, we always say, right, bring action to intention. But if that action is misinformed, it's like taking a wrecking ball to your life. So before you engage in any endeavor, whether it's starting a new business or getting on a healthy path, educate yourself with the information so that the actions you take are going to yield the most powerful and positive results. So like the diet, where some days you could eat cauliflower and some days you couldn't, bad information. So good information is key. Get informed and then take those small, realistic steps. And over time, they'll equal really powerful results.
2: Jillian, thank you so much for joining us and for helping us live a healthy, balanced life. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
5: Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to primohealthsolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best.
2: Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients
6: hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your Rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 973- 7. 722-1154. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison.
2: It's time for to Your Health. Joining me today to talk about how we can manage out-of-pocket medical costs is Dan Klein, President and CEO of the Patient Access Network Foundation. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining us.
5: Joan, happy to be here.
2: So Dan, out-of-pocket costs continue to rise and the inability to pay for critical medical treatments is a growing problem. And this problem isn't only for the uninsured, but also for people who have health insurance. Too many people are one illness away from financial ruin. Why do you believe that this problem is
5: getting worse? Well, it's getting worse because more and more people are facing high deductibles, high copays, high coinsurance. So People who are insured are being asked to pay more and more money out of pocket to get their prescriptions filled or to get their health care. And it's especially a problem at the beginning of each year because so many people have health benefit plans where the annual deductibles reset at the beginning of the year. That's especially challenging for people on Medicare, seniors who may be taking a medication for Uh, chronic illness or cancer, another serious disease that can oftentimes require several medications and uh, require quite a bit of -of out-of-pocket expense at the beginning of the year.
2: Dan, I remember it wasn't that long ago when a health insurance plan was pretty straightforward. You knew what you paid. Let's say an HMO, for example, you had a copay. You knew that this is what it would cost you. And and it was pretty easy to understand. Uh, To be honest, I don't understand what my own health insurance is. So what are some of the ways that we can make the most out of a health plan to reduce these costs that may take us by surprise?
5: Well, you're right. The health plans have gotten very complicated and Medicare is uh, also quite complicated. So um, it's important to really try to boil things down to simple steps people can take to try to save some money. Um, Because the health benefits often reset at the beginning of the year and the deductibles reset, a good thing to do is to see if you can refill your prescriptions before the beginning of the year. So if you're taking a medication and you're starting to run low, you might be able to refill it and even get a 90-day supply uh, before the new year. And that way, you can push off some of the out-of-pocket costs and that's something that's very easy for people to do. Um, Another important thing, of course, is to um, make sure that you understand whether the medication you're taking is on the formulary of your health plan. So if you have Medicare and you have a Part D prescription drug plan, you can go to medicare.gov and put that medication into the uh, fund finder and see what the coverage is. And that way you'll know up front whether or not you're likely to have a big out-of-pocket cost. Um, a third thing to do is, is to ask for help. Um, and the easiest way to do that is to uh, talk to your physician or pharmacist if you're having difficulty affording your medication. Um, they may be able to suggest a less expensive alternative that's equally effective for you. So they may be able to recommend a generic or another brand drug that would save you money. Um, Your physician or your pharmacist can also refer you to the Pan Foundation, or you can call us directly. And uh, it's very easy to uh, check with us to see whether we can provide a grant to help pay for your out-of-pocket costs. Um, Our 800 number is Six six three one six seven two six three. Our website is panfoundation.org, Patient Access Network Foundation.org, and um, people can check with us. We cover over seventy different illnesses, hundreds of different medications, and we provide people with grants that'll last a full year. They'll cover their deductibles, their copays, their co-insurance for a full year of treatment. And uh, if we can't help, will refer patients to other charities that can or to other patient advocacy groups that can help. So, again, ask for help if you need help. Um, millions of people are in the same situation where they have insurance, but they're still struggling to pay for their out-of-pocket costs.
2: Dan, who would be eligible for this type of help?
5: Anybody who has um, insurance, either through Medicare or um, through commercial or employer-based or uh, Affordable Care Act insurance. So, PAN and the other charities like PAN um, help people with um, out-of-pocket costs if they are insured. People who don't have insurance can reach out to uh, the drug manufacturers directly and the drug manufacturers operate patient assistance programs that will provide free medications to people who don't have insurance. Um, There are Income eligibility requirements for many of those programs for the pan foundation and for similar charities We have eligibility criteria, but they're fairly liberal So we help people all the way up to five hundred percent of federal poverty level um, so for a household of two two seniors that's nearly a hundred thousand dollars a year, but if you're taking an expensive medication you might be paying ten thousand dollars a year out of pocket, so even people who would seem to be uh, middle or higher income oftentimes need help. Most of the people we provide assistance to are um, making in the uh, uh, you know middle range. So the typical person on Medicare is making somewhere between twenty-six and thirty thousand dollars a year. That's the median, and so a lot of the people we help really. Um, are struggling and would have no other place to go if they couldn't come to the Pan Foundation.
2: Dan, you've been doing this work for some time. What are some of the biggest, and I don't want to use the word mistakes, but some of the biggest aspects of health insurance that end up getting us into trouble, things that we think may be covered but it ends up being a problem for us?
5: I think the most common uh, uh, thing people forget about is that they're uh, benefits are going to reset at the beginning of each year and that um, it's not something that spreads out evenly over the years. So someone on Medicare um, might have a lot of their expense um, right up front in the first couple months of the year and that's because of the way the, the benefit is structured. So you have a annual deductible, you have cost sharing, you have the donut hole. So someone on Medicare could in 2019, be facing $5,100 out of pocket before they get to the catastrophic limit where their cost sharing would be reduced. So that that's really one of the biggest problems is uh, one, people not understanding that, and two, sometimes people don't have the resources to um, uh, cover those costs. That's not that uncommon. And um, uh, it's really, really important for people to... Um, ask for help. That, that is the best advice I can give. If you're having trouble um, affording your medications, ask your physicians, ask your pharmacists, um, call the PAN Foundation, ask for help. A lot of times um, there is help available and people either don't ask or don't know about it.
2: Dan, thank you so much for joining us. It's a new year and hopefully we can enter it wiser and better able to protect our hard-earned assets. So thank you for sharing this important information with us.
7: Well, thanks for talking with me, Joan.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. We'll be right back.
7: It is no secret that many people wait until after the holiday season concludes before finally deciding to move on with their lives and commence the divorce process. It is for that reason why January is oftentimes one of the busiest times of year for matrimonial lawyers. My name is Robert Epstein, and I'm a partner with the family law firm of Ziegler, Zemsky and Resnick in Livingston, New Jersey. Whether because of the family and the children, financial reasons, a hope that the marriage can be saved, an overwhelming schedule that leaves no time to act on this decision, or something else, each person has a rationale for why and when they are finally prepared to move forward. Oftentimes, people look at a decision to move forward with a divorce in the new year as a sort of New Year's resolution, which makes sense when considering that a resolution is designed to help you improve something in your life. A few things that you can consider doing to move forward are, number one, find the right divorce lawyer. Number two, outline your divorce goals. Number three, gather your financial documents. And number four, rely on that support system and professionals to help you get through difficult time. With these steps in mind, the new year will present a clean slate and a chance to make positive changes in our lives that we might not have otherwise been ready for. Hopefully you will be better prepared when the time is right to make that decision for you. For more information, please contact me at Siegler, Zemsky and Resnick, 973-533-1100 or robert at zzrlaw.com. I am incredibly, incredibly proud to be a physician here at St. Jude, to be in a place where I know my patients are going to get the top-notch care, not only care, but also research happening 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Every single person that contributes is a part of that St. Jude family that makes that happen. Because of everyone that is really committed to the mission of St. Jude, we're giving families hope. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. This is WNYM,
0: Sack, New Jersey, New York City.
2: Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Most of us have encountered aggressive people and difficult confrontations. When faced with anger, we tend to react emotionally, either withdrawing or responding with matched aggression. Today's guest, Douglas Knoll, believes that neither approach brings peace and understanding. He's here to explain how to successfully and efficiently calm an angry person or defuse a situation. Doug is an internationally recognized mediator and peacemaker who specializes in difficult conflicts. He's the author of Deescalate: How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Welcome, Doug. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, John. Great to be here.
2: So, Doug, no one is immune to being part of a difficult situation. We've all encountered that one person who really knows how to push our buttons. So what
7: do you believe?
6: (laughs) Right.
2: It's true. And, you know, I actually did the other night at a meeting. I wish I had read the book before that night. So (laughs) what do you believe are the biggest mistakes we make when dealing with an angry person?
1: The first biggest mistake we make is that we listen to their words. Mm-hmm. And when we listen to their words, because that's what we're trying to do from the time we're small children, their words trigger us. We become immediately reactive uh, and either defensive or aggressive, as you said, ourselves. And now we're sucked into the conflict vortex and we have no ability or let me let me just say very limited ability to get ourselves out. And we have to recognize that when people are emotional, when they're, when they're very angry and insulting and disrespectful, the thinking part of their brain, their prefrontal cortex, is completely shut down. They are, they're operating on programming that was programmed into them when they were children, and they are being completely reactive. And so we have to have a different approach if we want to successfully get them calmed down to solve whatever the underlying problem is. The secret is learning not listen to the words.
2: And you know, Doug, what some people, they may do what what I tend to do is I I don't like confrontation. I don't like to argue. I tend to just withdraw, ignore, and avoid. And so that's not a good practice either.
1: No. Well, conflict avoidance is a very common tactic that people unconsciously adopt. And sometimes avoidance is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not. But avoiding conflict in all cases is disempowering because that's how bullies basically get their way. Or people, that's how disrespectful people get their way and and that's not right or just or fair. So we have to be able to have the skills that when we decide that we have to really calm somebody down to get to a problem, we have to have that skill set.
2: So Doug, let's talk about your process. What are the three essential steps?
1: Step number one, ignore the words. In this situation, for this 90 seconds, those words mean nothing. So ignore them because if you listen to the words, they're going to trigger you and you're going to get in trouble. Step number two pay attention to the emotional experience of the speaker and that means that you're going to be looking for all the emotions that are there because typically when somebody is enraged or angry or insulting there is more than one emotion emotions come in complexes they come in patterns and groups there's never just anger for example. So you're going to be looking for anger. You're going to be looking for somebody feeling disrespected. You're going to look, be looking for sadness, fear, anxiety, grief, shame, guilt, um, and then way down low, deep, 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 uh, a sense of being unloved and abandoned. And all these things are all happening all at once, but it's all being presented, let's say, through an intense Emotions such as anger so you're going to guess at the emotions and then the last step Which is the counterintuitive part of all of this and this is the part that it's easy to say hard to get is that we're going to reflect back The emotions we're guessing at, we're going to reflect them back to the speaker using a very simple use statement. So I would say, hey, Joan, you're really angry right now. You're really frustrated. You feel completely disrespected and unsupported. Um, You feel like you've been treated really unfairly and uh, you're a little bit anxious about what's going to happen. And you have a lot of sadness and grief that you seem to be all alone in the world.
2: So by doing that, Mm -hmm. you're basically acknowledging that you're understanding how the other person's feeling. You're not battling them, you're validating them.
1: Exactly correct. And what what brain science shows us, especially through a 2007 study by Matthew Lieberman at UCLA, is that when people get very emotional, their prefrontal cortex shuts down. When we label back their emotions to them, we, we, we give them back their emotions, reflect them back in these very simple use statements. We're literally lending them our prefrontal cortex so that they can process the emotional experience. And what the scanning studies show is that when we do this, the emotional centers of the brain immediately quiet down. I mean, it's almost instantaneous. Our brains are hardwired for this. So that's why this, this skill is so powerful and, and so effective because it's working with the brain, not against the brain.
2: So Doug, we ignore the words, we guess at the emotions and we reflect the emotions back. What happens next?
1: Two things can happen. Well, a couple of things can happen. First, if you are successful the first time through, in other words, the person, whatever it is, you're successful and you de-escalate, you're going to see four unconscious reactions. One, they're going to nod their head, affirmatively up and down. Two, they're going to give some kind of verbal response like, yeah,
3: exactly, that's exactly how I
1: feel. (laughs) I might even shout it out, right?
7: Okay,
1: okay. Three, there's going to be a dropping of the shoulders and four, there's going to be, uh, be a big sigh of relief. When you hit those reactions, you know that you're getting them de-escalated. If they persist in yelling and screaming and doing whatever they want, you just stay with them, follow them like a horse, and just keep reflecting back. The emotions and you may have to reflect back the same emotion over and over again you're really angry you're really frustrated you just have to keep with them and eventually it will penetrate now after 90 seconds if you're not getting anywhere this is not the time <laughs> back off and say hey you, you know you need let, let's let's just take a pause and and take a walk and take a deep breath and hopefully and then come at it again in five or ten or fifteen minutes but typically, you can de-escalate somebody in 30 to 45 seconds.
2: So there's a lot that has to go on in a short period of time. You need to try to understand what's going on with the other person and remove your ego from the equation.
1: That's right. Well, it happens automatically. That is removing the ego. And that's a really cool thing that happens. The benefit to the speaker is that you get got to calm down. But there are huge benefits to you as the listener. The first is that you're completely empowered. And when you're focusing on their emotions, there's no room in your existence to get triggered by their words. So you feel completely empowered, centered, and controlled, you feel no anxiety. I mean, it's amazing how quiet you stay inside yourself in, in the face of this hurricane of words that are coming at you. The second thing that happens, which is even more remarkable, is that for the time that you're actually reflecting back the emotions, your ego dissolves and you've experienced this transcendental oneness with the other person it's the it's the most bizarre experience and it lasts for about 15 or 20 seconds but it happens every single time so the practice almost becomes a spiritual practice mm-hmm. in that your your ego's dissolving and all of a sudden you just you feel like, you know, you're just this being out there doing this stuff and there's no ego involvement at all. It's it's a very cool experience and it's very unique to, to this kind of a skill use. It's very powerful.
2: Now, Doug, parents deal with these types of situations on a regular basis. Does this all work with children?
1: it not only works with children, it's essential to use it with children. And the reason that it's essential is because from about 18 months of, of after birth until about four years old, the emotional centers of the child's brain are maturing. The child has to go through a whole range of emotional experiences in order for the brain to understand how to link up The affect that's occurring inside the brain, that's what we call the actual physiological neurons firing in the brain. Feeling what's going on in the physical body, and then how we we make sense of that, which is what we call emotion, the labels we give, such as anger and rage. A child has to learn all this stuff and build a database of emotions. If we tell a two-year-old boy, for example, don't be a sissy, grow up, don't cry, what are we telling that little boy about emotions? We're not allowing him to build a database of emotions that's going to allow him to be a healthy functioning young man. And at 15 years old, when he starts getting arrested in girls, there's a train wreck going to happen. So what we should be doing is, when a when a, when a child has a tantrum, for example, rather than yelling at the kid and telling him to shut up, we should be saying, "You're really angry. You're really frustrated. You're not getting what you want. You just feel really thwarted, and nobody's supporting you, and you don't feel loved." Stuff like that. Right. The kid right. will quiet down in about 30 seconds. Say, "Yeah." And now you can problem solve. Now you can say, OK, let's sort through what the problem is appropriate to the age, of course. It's brilliant with children. And I submit that if parents did this with their kids, they would be teaching children emotional intelligence at a very young age. And their kids are going to be so much happier by the time they get to school age. It's amazing.
2: And I think, Doug, you know, a lot of the problem with communication is people just don't listen to each other. We're so worried about the next thing that we're going (laughs) to say that we don't even know what the other person is trying to convey to us. And so this is brilliant because it, forces you to become an active listener and a participant in a dialogue with another person.
1: That's correct. We, we talk about, I, as I teach this, I talk about you, um, the tracks. There, you, you have your own track and the other person, the speaker, has his or her own track. When you are doing this kind of listening, you are going to stay on that speaker's track. You're never going to lift that train off and put it onto your track. So it's very different from conversation. And the rules are different. The rules of listening are different than the rules for conversation. If I'm truly listening to you, I can interject all the times, whatever emotional experience you're having, Joan, and I can say, you're really frustrated right now. You're really angry or, wow, you're really scared. And I can interrupt. If it were conversation, you would think I was being very rude and impertinent and patronizing. But when I'm listening to you with emotions, you experience a very deep empathic connection with me. And, and as I say, it, you experience being listened into existence.
2: The book is De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less by Douglas Knoll. If you would like to get more information about the book or Doug and his work, you can visit DougKnoll.com, that's N-O-L-L. DougKnoll.com. Doug, thank you so much for being here with us. As I said, I wish I had read this book before I was in a meeting the other evening, but I'm really <laughs> glad that I have now because you know, you've know you given me tools that, that can change my life and so many others. And I hope everyone will get a copy of the book, Deescalate. It really will make an impact on your relationship. So thank you.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on the show.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Should you date a
8: coworker, yay or nay, Hi, I'm Julianne Cantarella, matchmaker, dating coach, and owner of New Jersey's Matchmaker. I work with commitment-minded singles, helping them to totally transform their love lives by taking the mystery and confusion out of dating so they can create the relationship they desire and deserve. As a relationship expert for over 13 years, I've seen the many different outcomes of a workplace relationship. It's pretty clear why a workplace romance could happen. Most of your waking hours are spent at work. And very often, our coworkers can share similar interests and common goals. Add to that chemistry, and you have yourself a romance. However, this relationship expert cautions you not to dive right in, but rather weigh the pros and cons before you decide to date. Let me start with some pros. Besides spending more time together, it can bring an excitement to a lackluster work environment. You can get a better sense of their personality and learn how to handle difficult situations together. Now, the cons. If things go south, you still have to see them. You could be distracted and lose productivity. Coworkers could become judgmental or jealous. You could be accused of unethical behavior. And finally, there could be a chance you end up competing for recognition. So think twice. To learn more about me and how I can help you transform your love life to create the relationship you desire and deserve, visit me, Julianne Cantarella, at NewJersey'sMatchmaker.com.
6: Where do you focus in business when life gets in the way? Hi, I'm Suzanne Tregenza Moore, business coach, online marketing strategist, and creator of the Socialize, Mesmerize, Monetize system. I work with entrepreneurs and small business owners to convert more prospects into sales. As entrepreneurs and small business owners, we often wear many hats. For most of us, this balancing act takes on a life of its own. Some days feel like we are the conductor of a symphony, others feel like a train wreck. The worst are when personal dilemmas threaten to become business catastrophes. Should you find yourself in one of these, do your best to manage it as follows. First, take a comprehensive look at all of your deliverables. Rather than jumping into your to-do list, take time to consider what can be delayed or eliminated. Be ruthless with your commitments. Second, serve your current clients to the best of your ability. Complete their work as expected or communicate about delays. Most clients will understand an explained delay. Frustration usually comes from lack of information. Remember, referrals are likely important to your overall client attraction. When you keep your clients satisfied, new ones will follow. Interested in more advice about how to find success in your business? Connect with me at SuzanneTMoore.com.
2: We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Bill Rush, the founder and managing partner of The Elementary Group, a leadership coaching, development, and strategic planning consultancy that helps clients become agents of action in life and within the organizations they serve. He's here today to discuss why we should make incremental changes towards a big vision. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hi, Joan. It's great to be back with you.
2: So, Bill, it's a new year, and this is a time when people resolve to make changes during the upcoming year. Sometimes we make grand attempts only to fall short very quickly. But you believe that resolutions should be less radical and more about making smaller incremental changes toward a really big vision. Why do you believe that's the best approach?
0: Well, the answer is that I'm pro change, Joan. And what the data shows is that the success rates for resolutions are incredibly low. Statistics show that approximately 8 to 10% of all people making resolutions will actually be successful into turning these resolutions into a permanent habit, which means, sadly, we have a lot of discouraged people by the second week of January. What our consulting and coaching really focuses on is sustained change and growth. we love to see people succeed.
2: So, if we should forget about resolutions, What steps should we be taking to create positive change in our lives or
0: work? That's a great question. There's a quote I love, which you may have heard before, that I think is perfect in the context of trying to accomplish something that's really hard. And it goes like this. What's the best way to eat an elephant? And the answer, of course, is one bite at a time. So the reality is there's three levels of change needed to create behavior change. The first, the easiest level, is to gain new knowledge, which is really tied to our thinking. And the second is really trying to change our attitudes. The most difficult, though, is changing our behaviors. And so the challenge with behavior change is that in order to be successful, we must possess the ability to accomplish the task and remind ourselves to do it. And then be motivated to accomplish it. And I know at the beginning of every year, people are really motivated to get their resolutions accomplished, but that's also where things get off track. When life happens and your motivation levels dip, which is normal for anything we do in life, you're going to be challenged with that new behavior. And so to do something really hard when you're not motivated at all, that's when we see failure. And that's when you're most likely to quit, which means if you really want to be intentional about what you want to accomplish over the long term say losing 20 pounds before your daughter's wedding next year, you really have to move towards that goal by making incremental changes. As easy as losing a half a pound a week, which over time will get you exactly where you want to be. So I think the secret here is realizing that all of our goals are really those elephants. And what we have to get comfortable with is this idea of eating just one bite at a time.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us. I, I think that this is such a great reminder because, uh, as you said, within a few weeks, our resolutions fall to the side. We give up and we deem ourselves to be a failure. So great advice, one bite at a time. If you'd like to learn more about Bill and his work, you can visit elementarygroup.com. And as always, to hear more great advice from Bill, you can visit our website,
4: cyacyl.com slash bill. Happy New Year! If you are open and ready, it's a great time to start a new you. The you you always dreamed of begins with the decision today. What you do today will affect all the tomorrows down the road. Let's start from the inside. Eat clean, primarily eat lean meats, chicken, and fish with plenty of veggies, and eat fruits sparingly due to the sugar. Eliminate the sodas and refined sugars. Do circumference shopping at the grocery store. By this, I mean stay away from the middle of the aisles where all of the processed foods that are loaded with preservatives, salts, and fats live. Every so often, eat what you want and love. Once a month, splurge. Treat yourself to a healthy, fancy meal or combine it with a social event with friends. You never want to feel deprived or you may binge. Next, move. If you don't regularly exercise, at least walk. Skip the elevator Take the stairs, park further away from all entrances. Finally, supplement your diet with good vitamins that target your needs and complement your eating habits. When you consistently take care of your insides, your outside will shine and your future self will thank you. If you would like to know more or have a free personal consultation, please contact me, Joanne Ferrari, your nationally recognized leader in anti-aging at 908-581-9254.
9: doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. As we get deeper into Q1, the holidays seem a distant memory. Those great top 10 lists designed to assist you with your new goals have been replaced with all of your urgent projects. Those discussions about what you may or may not adjust to grow your business in the new year either have been forgotten or rationalized away. However, there is good news. You are still the captain of your ship, the master of your fate. You can restore Start your goal of growing your business now. In fact, the author Mel Robbins makes a compelling case that you can do it using her five-second rule. Please go to YouTube and watch her 18-minute TED Talk. Then read her book. This is Vito Mazzi, your cash flow specialist with Kinnam.com. One of the most shocking facts that I read recently just may give you the impetus to restart today. In America, we have 60 million plus businesses. 64% of them run at a loss or just break even. Only 36% make a profit. And you get to choose which group you belong to. To be profitable, you got to get paid. You get to decide what plan to put in place, and I can help you. I'm bonded, HIPAA-compliant, and really easy to talk to. Call 800-850-5110 or visit kinem.com forward slash veto hyphen mazza.
6: At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts, stop wrecks.org.
2: That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital messages, magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.
1: The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications